Grace and peace to you, my dear friends, from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It is truly good to be back here with you, gathered together by the Holy Spirit to hear this word that makes faith in us, that frees us from sin and conquers death and opens the kingdom of heaven and eternal life to all who believe. Amen. Well, it shouldn't come as a surprise to any that keys hold power. Anyone who is late for work or maybe just heading out for a quick trip to the grocery store that can't find their car keys knows precisely what I'm talking about. Without the right key, you aren't going anywhere. Those little keys are needed to get through locked doors, to deactivate security measures, to get the car started and to keep it going. The keys provide the access that you need. And without the right key, you're locked out and out of luck. No matter how fast your car can travel, no matter how important your work is, no matter how much you need to get someplace, no matter how nice of a home you want to get into, without the right key, you're simply stuck and out of luck. At home, I even have an entire key ring of keys that I don't even know what they open. I don't know if I need them or not, but I'm sure not going to lose them just in case one day I find a padlock that needs that lock on it. And I'm pretty sure that our children pick up on the importance of keys too. For example, my keys have made toy key rings out of old dead keys and they don't, lock, they don't unlock anything any longer, but they still carry them around to pretend that they have some access. I find it very interesting that keys are so important to us that we keep them even when we don't know what they're for. In our gospel reading today, Jesus hands the keys of heaven to Peter. This comes after Jesus wades through all of the ideas about who people say he is. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or maybe one of the prophets. They're not quite sure, but they want to know and they're trying to figure him out. And knowing someone's identity is just another kind of key that we have, isn't it? For when you know someone... You know where they're from. You know how they'll react. You know what they do. You know their gifts and talents and their personality type. Then you've got a key to understanding them, right? This is why companies have employees take personality tests. Because then we know a little bit more about how to unlock you. This is why we're always told to get to know yourself a little better. Spend a little time in your brain. Feel way down deep inside of you and get to know who you really are. Because if you know somebody, you can unlock their potential, maybe even your own. The disciples, despite spending all of this time with Jesus and despite hearing all of his teachings, are still searching for the right interpretive key to understand who Jesus really is. Now, 
I know I've told this story before, but I haven't been here for a while, and I'm going to risk it again because it's a good story about keys and unlocking things. When I was a kid, my mother led a ministry at our church called Kids Club on Wednesday nights when all the children would come to church, and uh, she was responsible for opening the building and getting the program started and making sure everything was running smoothly, and so we were always there early because she had a lot of responsibility. Well, that gets kind of boring, doesn't it? So I had to entertain myself at times. And on one fateful kids' club night, I happened to get my hands on my mother's church keys. And I began playing around, you know, just juggling, tossing them back and forth, you know, trying to stay out of trouble and entertain myself. But quickly, that wasn't enough of a challenge any longer. So I started throwing them a few feet away in order to catch them. And a little higher it would go. Soon, I needed an even bigger challenge. So I was throwing them higher and higher and higher, up and up and up, catching them in my hands, proving to myself that I could do it. Higher they went until finally they went so high that they didn't come down for they had landed on the roof and the doors were all locked. It was a bad night. Now had I not only lost the actual keys to the building, but I had unintentionally entered the challenge bonus round for I had not just lost the keys, but I had also that very night discovered the interpretive key to understanding my mother's anger and wrath which was being poured out upon me mightily. It didn't make anybody feel better. It didn't open the locks. But boy, there was a lot of understanding. But look what happens when Jesus' identity is revealed in our gospel lesson. As, Pete, as soon as Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus doesn't stop and say, wow, you know what? Finally, somebody really gets me. I'm so glad you said this. I'm glad we came to this moment of understanding. This is what I've been waiting for. Rather, Jesus is so shocked that Peter would say such a thing that he makes it clear that this is not a conclusion that Peter could have discovered by himself, but rather something God the Father had revealed to him. And even more to the point, Jesus moves quickly past the questions of his identity, his title, his status, and moves right into focusing on his work in the world, for that's where he really wants to be known. And this is where the keys to the kingdom of heaven come to the forefront, because the keys are active, they're doing something. Jesus isn't content to be known in the world simply as Messiah, as a title. And he's not interested in other descriptions of himself, for that matter. He wants to be known as the Messiah who actually does the saving of his people, saving us from the bonds of sin and death and the devil. He even forbids the disciples from telling others that he is the Messiah. But instead, he gives them the keys to use in the world, to bind and to loose, to free people from sin. I mean, we have Jesus as the Messiah who literally dies forgiving people of their sin, freeing us 
from all that would keep us and hinder us from the kingdom of heaven. Jesus brings the good news right into our ears, speaking his word of forgiveness, and in so doing, grants us access to heaven and eternal life. Right here, today, now, in your hearing. And that's just the point. Jesus gives the keys to build his church so that wherever sin is forgiven, new life and the kingdom of heaven would be given so that the new life in that kingdom would sprout and grow and flourish like vines connected to the, to the, the like branches connected to the vine. Yet the church of Christ has always been a bit afraid of this power to hold such powerful keys because you wouldn't want to be accused of granting access to the wrong sort of people after all. And there are a lot of wrong sorts, aren't there? And so the church has always been a little shy looking for some other standard by which to forgive people. After all, we need to restrict the kingdom, right? So that troublemakers and ne'er-do-wells don't have some free reign just to walk on in. Otherwise, the troubles in their lives might come and infect ours and might spoil the whole party in heaven, right? So the church has a long history of using the keys to bind and forgetting about the keys that loose and therefore even limiting who has the authority to use the keys and to turn it and to unlock the kingdom. But Jesus isn't talking about an initiation into the club. And he's not talking about how to secure a building that we do with locks. Instead, he gives his church, that is, you and me and everyone who bears the name of Christ, this power to speak his word of forgiveness. And he gives it to you first so that you would know its power and be able to speak it to those around you, freeing them and handing them the access to the kingdom of heaven without any fear or reservation that you're doing it wrong because you know the sort of person that you are and you've received it. For Jesus knows just exactly who to let into the kingdom. And it's always sinners who find new life in nothing more than his word of forgiveness. Poor Peter, of course, was the first one to get caught up in this kind of a problem. For just as soon as Jesus says, you are the rock on which I will build my kingdom. It's not more than three verses later. You can read it in your Bibles later, Mark, Matthew chapter 16, that Jesus is calling him Satan. Peter apparently wasn't as steadfast as we sometimes would like him to be. It seems that Peter isn't as reliable as we imagine. For as soon as Peter receives the keys, he immediately begins to think, all right, now it's all in my hands to decide who is in and who is out and which way this, this institution of the church is going to go. And then he begins to worry because Jesus tells him that it means suffering and death on a cross. 
And Peter begins to say, no, there must be a different way forward. No one wants suffering, cross, and humiliating death. But that's the way of Satan, to restrict the kingdom, to keep it away from those who Jesus chooses, to say there's another way than the cross of Christ to open this kingdom. But that's what always happens when we get the wrong idea about these keys. For they aren't ours to do with what we want. They are the means for our Lord to build his church. And he always chooses sinners to make his own by forgiving them, claiming them, grabbing them up right out of their sin and old life for the new we merely hold the keys waiting for every opportunity that comes our way to use them. It's not Peter's church, it's Christ's church. And we, like Peter and every Christian, are simply custodians, caretakers. We are janitors carrying around a big key ring full of keys that are just waiting for a lock to be found that needs to be opened. Talking with one another, hearing of your sin, hearing of your struggles and your trials and saying, I know how to get you through this. I know how to unlock that for you so that you too would find that you are in the kingdom of God. The rock and foundation of the church, the cornerstone that will not fail, is Jesus Christ, for he builds his church on this rock, the solid promise that he will never, ever cease from forgiving sin. For while we try to bind sin in order to make you change yourself, Jesus has no fear of just releasing it, freeing you, transforming you into a whole new person by forgiving your sin completely. This is his never-failing word that comes to you day in and day out your entire life through. You are the church because Christ has claimed you. He has forgiven you. The chains have come down. The walls are open. The bridge is destroyed. And the kingdom of heaven is open to you. Amen.